there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T for C. If you're interested in clean, renewable energy, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest has spent almost 18 years working for the second largest publicly traded oil company in the world and one that is investing $1 to $2 billion a year into clean energy. But before I introduce you to Phil Gomez, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's Time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a one-stop shop way to learn more about the professionals and the episodes we're going to be featuring that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there on the homepage. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my next guest is Phil Gomez, the Business Development Operations Manager at Shell New Energies. Phil is responsible for managing the solar opportunity pipeline, including greenfield, co-development, and platform identification for Shell's global renewable energy portfolio. Prior to this role, Phil was the Electric Mobility Business Development Manager, focused on the commercialization of Shell's electric mobility proposition, that's another way of saying electric vehicles, in North America, and in particular, in California. During the almost 18 years that Phil has worked at Shell, he's developed global courses for Shell employees on topics like natural gas, And he's been an account manager responsible for selling natural gas and power to commercial and industrial clients in the Pacific Northwest and California. Phil also served in the U.S. military almost 20 years ago as a petty officer second class in the U.S. Navy. Phil, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Yes. In fact, I have tea and coffee today. Oh my gosh, you're double-fisted there. Yes, absolutely ready to go. Wonderful. Well, let me first begin by thanking you sincerely for your service to this country. Thank you. Appreciate it. I also want our young listeners to know that if they want to learn more about what you're doing right now in your current role at Shell New Energies and how Phil built his super interesting career, they should check out the show notes for this episode to see if Phil's main T4C interview has already dropped. But now it's time for us to dive into the 10 espresso shots the purpose of which is to help our young listeners who may be interested in renewable energy to learn how they can break into this industry. So first, Espresso Shot Phil, what entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to break into this field? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of people have misconceptions thinking that renewable energy is all about engineering, and that's not really true. Today, young people that are studying either real estate or property background, obviously general finance, 
uh, contracts and in, in paralegals are very important for the multitude of agreements involved in any type of energy project. And one thing that's very interesting is community engagement. So you'd be surprised at how important a role engaging with both local municipalities, organizational groups, even NGOs that we're actually engaging with as we basically produce and promote our projects, not only in the U.S., but around the world. So for young people that are thinking, okay, I have background in community engagement, well, guess what? That might be a perfect fit for working in renewable energy because we have to promote and really produce results on the local level. And that may mean convincing a utility to really promote clean energy in their service territory. It may mean getting a community to support allowing, let's say, a solar field in their region. So really a a good variety of background. It's all about, in my mind, being what you bring to the table and working with people is very important. Terrific. So what are those, like the titles for those entry-level jobs that young people should be looking out for? Well, here at Shell, we actually have roles called community engagement specialists. We have finance in both business and finance specialists. On the real estate side, you may not have a real estate license, but just people that are like, say, have land background, or sometimes we'll call them land agents or land men or land women is a term from an old oil and gas term that, that survives to the state. And in general, they're functional support roles that help people get a foot in the door and can lead to more development roles. On the contract side, you don't necessarily have to have a legal background. Some of those titles would be like contract analysts or contract specialists. Great. That is super helpful. So Phil, what is a useful skill or skills that you look for in the young people that you hire? Well, we look for people with good analytical skills and planning skills, but really I'd say the most important would be your ability to work with people across the board, both internally and externally. You can't say enough about that because, you know, in project management, which uh, renewable energy is very focused on project management, you have to work within your team and really to be part of a team. And so I'd say in addition to those keen analytical skills, you, you really need people skills. And that's something that folks should be really cognizant of all the time. Wonderful. So what about life experiences, Phil? What, in your experience, are the most useful ones? So things outside the classroom that you think someone starting out in this field should have? Well, as I mentioned, any type of renewable energy is all about getting a project started off the ground and going. So young people can show that they've worked on projects, whether it's a conference or a team event or an activity. Maybe they've done uh, charitable work, any type where you can show your involvement in how you've either led or participated in a large project. Well, at the end of the day, that's project management. And so a lot of times I talk to people and say, you know, I've never worked on developing a large scale type utility project. I said, no, but you maybe have volunteered in something or you've looked at an event you've helped to coordinate. Uh, Those are the kind of skills that we look for, showing that you can deliver results. Wonderful. What about someone's major, Phil? Is it a deciding factor to get into the renewable energy space? In other words, if they haven't studied, whether it's environmental studies, whether it's something in the climate change, ecology space, is it a deal breaker? I would say it's not a deal breaker. And there's different paths and entryways into any type of role. 
I will say that at the very entry level, say coming out of college, there is some competition around, like say, interviewing behind a certain major. But for experienced hires, you'd be amazed at some of the backgrounds people have. I've met people with actually psychology degrees that are now working in renewable energy. So I know it sounds like a safe answer to say it depends, but really you'll find a variety of people with backgrounds, some with engineering backgrounds, some with business backgrounds, and some with more of the social sciences. And it really is a good mix of people. What about for someone right out of school? So somebody who's graduating in May 2020, for example, or even later, what are the kinds of majors that you think would put them in a more competitive position applying for an entry-level job within the renewable team? Right. Well, while there are the traditional engineering and business majors, I'll give you an example of that we actually hire for our government relations and our public policy groups, we will look at people that have studied governments that maybe have economics degrees or working across the board in advocacy. If you can show that your major has kind of addressed some of those issues, all of those topics are very important as we look at project management in renewable energy because we do a lot of local and national policy and advocacy work, as well as government relations. So I think the key is you may not be, let's say, an electrical engineer, but that doesn't mean that there's not opportunities for you in renewable energy. Great. What about a graduate school degree? How important is it to have one less so for the entry-level positions, more so for someone who wants to make it up into the C-suite? And if so, what are the most useful ones to have And I ask that knowing that you have your MBA from the University of St. Thomas and you concentrated in marketing. Right. Believe it or not, I see that a lot of my colleagues and especially in our management groups do have graduate degrees. I'd say about 60% of them are more on the technical side with the remaining 40% uh, being non-technical. It is a mix. So it's not to think that you don't have a graduate degree in engineering, that that's a deal breaker. It's not. But having some form of postgraduate work, I think, is becoming more and more important, especially at the management level. So what do you think if the engineering masters aren't the be-all, end-all? What are the other ones that you are seeing your colleagues getting? Are they mostly MBAs or are they masters in other fields? A majority are still in the MBA field, and that can be a variety of different concentrations. But I'd say at this day and age, mostly you'll see a lot of MBAs, even with people with either technical or non-technical backgrounds, like to become well-rounded. And so they get an MBA to pair with whatever undergraduate degree they receive. And that's also a great example. I do know the individual that I was thinking of that had a psychology undergraduate actually paired it with an MBA and is now on a pretty good track. So there's a variety, but MBAs still make up a majority of the graduate degrees that I'm seeing in this field. Gotcha. So Phil, what is the best part for you of being in this field right now? I'd say the best part is that it's It's like a blank canvas, and there's so much opportunity as we move forward to really reducing greenhouse gases and and increasing clean energy in the mix. So we're seeing that not only in the U.S., but across the world, where renewable standards for utilities are just constantly increasing to the level that 
many people just didn't think was possible. So that's going to require a lot and is kind of a traditional either coal or liquid fossil fuel plants, uh, power plants go offline or are retired. They have to be replaced with other cleaner, more sustainable uh, resources. So I think the best part is knowing that I'm in a field that's continually growing, that's continually important. Every day in the news, we see just how important this is. There are still challenges, but it's something that's very doable. This, I have to admit, solar power is not rocket science. So it's something that we can apply. There's still innovation in the field as far as where you can deploy solar panels or onshore, offshore wind. But it's really, I'd say, the best part is knowing that you're in a field that's extremely important. Absolutely. So, Phil, as we both know, there are ups and downs and wonderful things and not so wonderful things about every job that we have. (laughs) What is the part for you as the business development operations manager at Shell's New Energies that sucks the most? Well, I think that we all know that projects have very long gestation periods. The development timeline is very long. And unfortunately, you'd be amazed at how many projects never make it to a final investment decision or get that final authorization to proceed because so many things could go wrong in the years that it takes to develop, like say, an onshore solar plant. There are just a million different things that could go wrong or hurdles that could show up, challenges. And I'd say the most frustrating is that you can work on a project for years and it can fail in year two, three, or four. And sometimes it feels like wasted time. So you have to be patient and understand that not everything you're working on will make it to a successful kind of delivery and will make it to that operational stage. But when you do have a project that makes it across the finish line, it makes it all the more kind of fruitful and just satisfying. Oh, I can totally see that. But how do you deal with the disappointment of knowing that you put months and months and months and in some cases, years of your life into a project that ends up getting scrapped? Yeah. Well, we always take learnings away from experiences and projects. And so even though something may not come to fruition, you've still learned a lot, whether it's about the region, whether it's about the technology you're deploying. It could be a variety of things. A lot of times you're learning about the people that are involved in the project because some of these projects are so large. You have partners, external joint venture teams, and you're constantly learning about people you're working with. So yeah, there's always something to take away. That is a great philosophy to have. So Phil, what is the best career advice you've ever got? Well, I would have to say, and this is, it's not any type of sage conversation or a motto that I've picked up, but it's something that, believe it or not, I remember from management class way back in undergraduate. And it's something that I've kept in my back pocket and that I use to guide me pretty much through my whole career. And so it's funny when you think back on your school days and you say, what do I retain from that? Well, what did I take away? And of course, it's a comprehensive knowledge that you maybe can't put in words. But when I think back to advice, I remember in a management class, and it was an acronym. It was PLOC. And I remember that. I share it with people. And it stands for Planning, Leadership, Organization, and Control. And those are kind of like four pillars that I try to apply in my daily life and my career to always be focusing on those areas because planning is essential to any project, leadership, and it's many kind of 
platforms and uh, content is essential. And organizing is absolutely necessary. And control, even though it can sometimes have a negative connotation, is about being in control of your own responses, actions, behaviors, and communication. So that is something that I've always held near and dear and that I try and share with other people's advice as well. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. So final two espresso shots, Phil. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or books do you think accurately depict your profession? You know, I thought about this when I'm, I was thinking that maybe something around that's very legal oriented and almost to the point of, I was going to say maybe the Ten Commandments, because the one thing about renewable energy, and I think any type of energy firm is you, you really have to play by the book and there's processes and procedures. So, and that may not be everyone's cup of tea because it, it can somewhat seem a bit restrictive, but in this line of business, when you're talking about investing this kind of money, you have to have checks and balances and procedures. So we have any number of what I would call commandments or basically documents that are required and procedures. And we actually have a way of working that, that may not be familiar to a lot of people because it's very, very rigid, meaning that you move from one step to another. So any type of film that talks about the rigidity of, of maybe process and control would adequately kind of depict the lifestyle here. Okay, fair enough. Final espresso shot, Phil. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about renewable energy? Well, I think you'll be surprised at this too, but I would say that up to 80% of the people working in renewable energy have never seen an actual operational or even a site, meaning a solar plant, a wind farm, or any type of other in-development renewable energy plant. And what's shocking is that we have so many people working in offices or away from the actual sites that unless you're in, like, say, the actual delivery and engineering area, you may work for years on a project and you've never visited where that project will be built or you don't plan on visiting it once it is built. So it is really surprising that you can sometimes be talking to a room full of 100 people working in renewable energy and maybe out of that group, 20 have actually been to a solar plant. Okay, so where do you fall in the mix, Bill? Well, actually, I have visited a site before, but not being on the engineering side, it was really fortunate that I have seen a fully operational site. And in my role as operations manager, you would think that is important. But I will tell you that I'm currently looking at maybe 15 to 20 opportunities or working with teams that are looking at those opportunities. And there are many of them that I'm sure I'll never see because they're just far flung out across the globe. They could be in Australia, Spain, Brazil, the Netherlands. It really depends. So I think it's surprising when people know you can have such an impact on a project, but never really visit the site. Yeah, I am super surprised by that. So which site did you actually get to visit? I got to visit a site in uh, the Netherlands that was actually on a Shell Chemicals uh, facility. It's quite an interesting project that we developed and built, and it's operational now, but it's uh, supplying clean power to a chemical facility, meaning that they now have reduced the amount of power that, that's required for them, and they're generating it on their own. So it was really nice. And a lot of people are also surprised. When you think of solar power, you might think of 
that you have to be in an area like Arizona or Nevada or southern Spain. But believe it or not, even a place as cloudy and as kind of uh, chilly as the Netherlands has solar power. So it's something that people need to realize it has a lot of applications. Oh, isn't that fascinating? And you're right. I was thinking you were going to say it was a wind farm. So Mm. I would not Mm. have guessed that. Phil, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I am just so thrilled to know that companies like Shell are investing a huge amount of money in the new energy sector. It is super important for our planet. And thank you so much for all that you're doing to to make it a better place. Great. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.